Hi, and welcome. Welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani, and I'm your host. You're stuck with me. <laughs> no, but really on The Connected Generation, we have inspiring guests that share so much wisdom, so much tactics, and share share their stories. They share their triumphs. They share their trials. And my guest this week is no different. He did not disappoint. In fact, he wowed me. David McLennan. Today, he's an executive coach. But before that, before we go to what he does today, he's actually a family business insider. He worked in his family business as a third generation owner in his family's insurance company. And flash forward to today, now he's an advocate for business owners be able to create cultures that can impact the bottom line. He really helps leaders play what he terms as the infinite game of business, which means how can they become more long-term oriented? I absolutely loved (laughs) this episode. Like It was like music to my ears. We both have a common interest in Simon Sinek's content so yeah we had a lot of it was really fun this is a really good episode and got me really thinking about how can we be more intentional how can we be more long-termist how can culture translate to impact the bottom line so enjoy and take care hi david welcome to the connected generation it's awesome to have you here today i am so honored to be here nikkei Great to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So today you're an executive coach and you help leaders learn to play the infinite game of business. I'd love to unpack that. But before we do so, can you just tell us how did you get here? Yeah, it's kind of been a long journey to get here. I was part of a family business early on in my business journey. I was part of an insurance agency. I was a third generation insurance guy. (laughs) But through my journey, I worked a lot with businesses, helping them with their employee benefits. And eventually, I was part of a startup company that was in the wellness industry. So kind of parallel to the employee benefits world. And one of the things that I saw and noticed was that there were a lot of companies that were focused on the cost of healthcare and the cost of benefits for the company, which Mm -hmm. was great. But I thought that they were missing something. I thought that they were missing the fact that they needed to create a culture that supported health, that supported well-being, that supported Mm -hmm. wellness. And so there was a period of time when I was in that role with the wellness company that I began thinking about, how do I help these companies to take it to the next level, so to speak, and really be able to help their employees and their bottom line and their large expenses for healthcare at the same time. And so eventually I created a company to help organizations to be able to really look at the longer term picture as opposed to just the financial impact. And what I mean by that is the longer term picture of of what's driving their results, and that's their people. And so Mm -hmm. that led me then down the path of helping leaders to help their people feel better, get better in their health, but also create a culture that supports that. And so today I I work with a lot of organizations who want to be very intentional 
with their culture, with their culture development and their people development. It's mm, really fascinating. But before we unpack how you help organizations of cultural development and people development, you kind of threw in there that you were in a family business yourself. I was, <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. Let's go back now. <laughs> Tell us more yeah. about your journey. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because I never really set out to be in the family business. My grandfather was in the insurance industry. He was an entrepreneur. Hmm. Gosh, back in, I got to think now here, probably back in the 40s and the 1950s and the 60s. He started out as a baker. He had a bakery and then he expanded to a grocery. And then he migrated into or kind of transferred to the insurance industry. I think it was back in the 1950s. And I never really thought that I wanted to be a part of the insurance business. But one day, (laughs) my grandfather got a hold of me. (laughs) And uh, he basically started talking to me about the industry, about the benefits of it, the good things about it. And I was fairly young. I was in my early 20s, actually going to university, getting my business degree. And about at the same time, my dad was starting a new insurance agency that he really needed some help with. And so long story short, I joined my dad to help him set up some of the systems and processes for his agency. Mm-hmm. And from there, it just I kind of, I honestly was his chief financial officer for a number of years before we sold the business to a, an insurance company back in the 1990s. But it, it was kind of a didn't plan to go there, but I was there anyway. And it was fun. I ended up being a partner with my dad for almost 20 years. And it was enjoyable and frustrating all at the same time. You know, there's a whole lot of different dynamics with Mm. family businesses. And there was a lot that I wished I knew then that I know now. But I think that's all part of the journey as well. Give us examples of what you wished you knew then that you now know. Yeah, I think the first thing is that being more intentional with our strategic planning, being more strategic with our culture, with Mm. developing, even developing our people. We had some great people that were working with us. And I wish that we would have been more strategic and purposeful and intentional in that regard, because I think that we missed utilizing some of our people's greatest talents. And Mm. I think that we were just kind of going along with the flow of business and we allowed business to happen to us rather than us being very intentional with Mm. our business. So I think that's one thing, just not being very intentional with our people development and really even our culture too. That's really interesting. And would you say that that's part of why you're doing the work that you're doing now? Because a lot of what you're saying is you like to support businesses with what's driving the numbers, looking beyond the financial impact, looking at the longer term picture, thinking through uh-huh. people development and culture development. Do you think it's linked to your experience in the family business? I do. I do. That's part of it for sure. I really believe that that component gets missed in family businesses. But I also think what's driving me helping other organizations is really this focus on short term results. I see so many organizations mm-hmm. that are focused on just quarter to quarter or year over year. And I really believe that um, I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. 
And, and, yeah. And playing that, what he calls the infinite, the infinite game, game. Mm-hmm. just so much resonates with me because it's more about how do we help our people solve the problems that we're solving for our customers, for our clients, and then be able to perpetuate our organization long-term rather than short-term, just short-term results. And so I think that back to your question, what drives me is partially the missed opportunities that I think I missed early on in my business career, but then also just seeing a lot of companies not looking at the long-term picture and not seeing what's really driving their results and why they're in business in the first place. Mm, that's really pertinent. And so you've mentioned a lot of businesses are quite short-termist. That's a common kind of mistake businesses make. What other mistakes do you see them making? Yeah, I think that one of the mistakes that I see them making is, again, coming back to culture, they're not very intentional with their culture development. And if we ask a room full of CEOs, I can guarantee you, if I ask them, you know, how important is culture on the, the bottom line results of their organization from a scale of one to 10, I would say 90 to 95% of the CEOs are going to raise their hand and say, it's a nine, it's a 10, it's an eight, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in that high range. But when I ask them what they've done to prepare their culture, or to drive and lead their culture, none of them raised their hand to say, you know, give me a solution. Mm. And I think that that's interesting because we have budgets, we have sales plans, we have Mm -hmm. financial plans, we have strategic plans, but we don't have a culture plan. And so I think that that's where a lot of companies miss their intentionality and their ability Mm -hmm. to lead success for their organization over the long term and really create a way for them to differentiate themselves in the marketplace as well. Because when I think of organizations and companies that stand out, it's the ones who really are intentional with their culture because it's they're very specific and they're very deliberate about how they do business and the way they do business. And their people stand out because their leaders lead the culture. And so I think mm-hmm. that a lot of organizations miss that. And I think a lot of leaders really don't recognize that culture is a leadership function. It really is Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. where we have to lead, we have to teach, we have to model. And we also have to be able to be vulnerable enough to be able to say, hey, you know what? I messed up on this behavior that we've said is really important around here. I didn't Mm -hmm. hold up to that this time. And I need to actually own up to that. And so that takes a strong leader. It takes a strong leader to be able to own up to that kind of vulnerability. I loved what you said about culture plans in companies that have budgets, that have HR plans, but not necessarily a culture plan. That just kind of, I had a huge aha moment. So what an annual culture plan looks like, for instance, how should CEO of a family business teach, lead and model culture? Well, the first thing I believe that they have to do is they have to define it. They have to define that culture. And so starting with the definition of their culture, they need to look at the things that drive their success, the behaviors that drive their success. I think that's very fundamental to our business. So Mm -hmm. I call them the fundamentals, define the fundamentals. And 
I also make a very big distinction between values and behaviors because mm-hmm. values are very aspirational. We're going to respect each other. Respect, that word could mean different things to different people, mm-hmm. depending on, yeah, depending on where we grew up, what our map of the world is. But when we talk about listening generously, when I say that in our organization, we're going to listen generously, that's actually living out a value of respect, Mm -hmm. but it's also very actionable. We can see it happen. We can give feedback on it and we can be able to teach it as well. So going back to your question, I think the first thing that organizations that CEOs need to do is get very clear on what's driving their success. What are those behaviors that drive their success? And Mm -hmm. articulate those in terms of behaviors. Things like practicing blameless problem solving, speaking straight, getting clear on expectations. Those behavior statements and creating behavior statements around their culture is really what's going to help them to first be able to know what it is that they are going to create. And those things that are valuable to them. So we have to be very clear and define what those behaviors are. Mm. I love that you say that because quite often in family businesses, what I tend to see is the founder has a very strong sense of what his or her values are or what he or she wants the values of the business to be, but hasn't been able to kind of firstly define it, explain it, lead it in different contexts so that others can imbibe it. And so there's a lot of frustration on the part of the founders on one side and the rest of the employees are on another. It's like, well, we are a company that treasures, I don't know, the value of respects, like you said. But yeah. like you said, how do you model out respect? Mm-hmm. And then in what context and things like that. So why do you think it's so hard for us to do this culture work? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's really hard because it is a human skill that needs to be nurtured. And I think that a lot of CEOs, we alluded to this earlier, they're looking at the numbers, they're looking at the facts, they're looking at the things that are tangible. Hmm. A lot of these things are intangible things. And it takes a CEO and a leadership team being very open very vulnerable, and quite frankly, being able to lead and let their team know, let the people know that they're not always going to meet these aspirational behaviors. We are human. And so I think that that's why it's so hard. It's a people part. I hate this term, but it's the soft skills that everybody talks about. (laughs) Those soft skills are really hard. And that's why I think we steer away from them. And so... To me, I believe that that's probably the biggest reason why a lot of the companies just steer away from it or don't gravitate towards working on these kinds of things because they're not super tangible. We can't see them on a balance sheet. We can't see them on an income statement right away. It takes a little bit of time. But as we begin to develop them and be very intentional with them, it definitely shows up on the financial statement and shows up in the financial performance of the organization. You said two things that's genius that um, the listeners might have over listened, overlooked (laughs) (laughs) that I think are so genius. And I just ringing in my ears. 
you mentioned vulnerability just now and in your prior answer, you mentioned blameless problem solving. Yeah. And I know that in my career, um, the environments where I learned the most are where we're able to have this blameless problem solving, where I'm able to get curious and experiment and try out new ideas without fear of being shamed, blamed, or, you know, and what have you. So as the CEO of an organization, how can you create this culture whereby there's no blame and you don't get crucified for making mistakes. How do you, as a leader, lead with vulnerability? Yeah, I think it starts with actually admitting your own mistakes and admitting when I, as a leader, haven't lived up to those behaviors that I've espoused and that we say, are you know, they're on our walls. And I have to be able to say, I haven't lived up to that. Or, hey, we tried this strategy and this didn't work out. I wonder mm-hmm. why that is. What do you guys think? And being able to be very curious themselves about asking and inviting their team to be able to speak into them and their own leadership doesn't mean that they always have to take the answers that they hear and act on them as they process what they hear. But it does mean I need to be able to be a good listener. I need to be very curious. And I really think that practicing that blameless problem solving that we talked about is more about finding the what as opposed to the who. Because when we look at what happened and really taking ourselves away from the pointing a finger or looking Mm -hmm. at who's to blame rather Mm -hmm. than what's to blame, it could be our process. We need to evaluate Mm -hmm. our processes. Perhaps we followed the process, but our process let us down and we need to change that. So I think you said something that I think is very key to this and that's curiosity. I think that us being very curious allows us to look at problems, issues, challenges within our organization that will create that environment of psychological safety and being able to practice that blameless problem solving. But we have to model it first. Mm, I love your answer. And I know that a common struggle a lot of family businesses are facing and just general businesses are facing right now and in these COVID times, it's on culture. How do you build, maintain culture? And when you're hiring staff and also maintaining your people remotely, how do you ensure that all the touch points with the business are consistent. This is the way we are and this is how we do things around here. How do you imbibe that and impart that onto people that are new to the organization and all they've known is Zoom and Google Meets and Microsoft Teams? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think it really boils down to having some kind of, and I'm going to use a word that could have other connotations, but we have to create rituals. We have to create cadences within our organization that let the people know that are part of our organization that we're really serious about this culture thing. And so the companies that take the time, that make the time to talk about their culture, to create these rituals, these rhythms, these cadences within the organization, even virtually are the ones that are going to be very successful at being intentional about their culture. And that can be as simple as 
I work with some manufacturing organizations that are that are family businesses or that have been family businesses, and they have startup meetings. They have a startup and they start with a safety briefing. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my clients took that particular cadence and added right after the safety briefing their culture briefing or their culture conversation. And so they had a brief conversation about their behavior of the week or their fundamental of the week. And since we were talking about practicing blameless problem solving, that conversation could start that short meeting. The leader could be saying or asking the question, hey, this week's behavior of the week is practicing blameless problem solving. What examples do we have of us practicing that this week? What do we see? And asking our team for examples. Or maybe the question is, hey, what's gotten in the way of us practicing that this week? And just having a brief conversation around that, just like we would a safety briefing or just like we would any other um, you know, regular ry- rhythm of our, of our business. And maybe you have a rhythm of talking about the sales pipeline or any other aspect of the business, but putting that into our regular rhythm and our regular ritual that can help us to be able to drive the culture and lead the culture, even in an environment that's virtual. And I'll say too that the companies that have been really successful with culture development and really being intentional with it, it's taken effort. It's Mm -hmm. taken leaders who are really willing to lead and put themselves out there and not hide because it's so easy. You know, you're not in the same room with each other whether you're not in the same building with each other. And so it really takes intentionality. The other aspect too, quite frankly, is turning on video. I know some companies that go onto Teams and they're looking at their spreadsheet or their agenda and their dashboard and they're just ticking off things. But having the cameras on and being able to see each other human to human and really connecting and starting with that is really a very, very tangible way that organizations and leaders can use to drive their culture. Great, great, great tips there. You mentioned that you help businesses with creating a culture that supports health and well-being. And in these times where mental health is a really critical issue for a lot of workers, what steps can CEOs take to create this culture that truly supports not just their physical well-being, but their emotional and mental well-being? Yeah, that is a great question, McKay. I think that one of the biggest things is to listen. Listen to your people. Ask a question, but then really be intent on listening because that's where we can get tuned into our people. And I would say that if I'm a CEO of an organization and I want to be very in tune with my people, I need to be able to listen generously. Mm. And I need to be able to actually ask a question and then listen to that response. And Mm. if they do nothing else but listen generously, that alone, I think, can support and help create a culture of well-being because people are heard. And Mm. I would also teach my leaders to do the exact same thing. Because when we do that and when we listen to our people, I think that's the biggest gift that we can give in today's society because we're so distracted. We're so pulled in so many different directions. Close your laptop, look eye to eye to people, 
and really listening. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's a hard skill to create and to get good at. Mm-hmm. But it's one I think that is probably the key to supporting our people. Just listen to them and then hear them. And then if there's something that we can do as an organization to support them, then let's act on that as well. Wow. I love that you said that. I was listening to Dare to Lead podcast, Brene Brown, and I can't remember which guest she had on. And he was talking about just this, about Uh, trying to avoid the tendency to jump into solving people's problems and staying and just listening. And yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And you can be listening, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm," but you're really not. Exactly. You've got like a billion tabs going on and presence of mind isn't there. But I loved what you said about close the laptop, look in the eyes, maybe switch off your phone as well, (laughs) disable notifications and just listen because people just want to be heard. They don't necessarily want you to solve their problems. They just want an avenue to be heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think that being able to listen to what's being said And what's not being said is really such a key skill. And I think that just that holding space with somebody is so key. And when a leader does that, people really know and they feel it. And there's something to be said for that skill. So I really believe that it's so key. And if more leaders could do that, I think that we would have a lot more supportive environments. Because then you create an environment of belonging. Exactly. And yeah. people feel, okay, if this business includes me and I belong here, then I will go over and beyond for this business. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to, I'm just an employee number one, two, three, four, five. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think as organizations scale and grow, it does get harder. It gets more difficult. But if we create that as part of our culture, as we're growing, then it really becomes just the way we do things around here. And so even as we grow and as we're teaching our leaders and our leadership teams to do that, those behaviors and really practice those behaviors, that really then will get infiltrated within the organization, even as we grow and scale. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, David. I've learned so much. I've really enjoyed you coming on The Connected Generation. My last question for you is, what legacy do you want to leave? Oh, wow. That's a great question. You know, I think I would say I want to leave a legacy of care and growth because I think as humans, we all want to continue to grow and to develop. And as a leader, I hope that those people who are closest to me that love me the most will say that I also care and Mm -hmm. that I want to grow and that I did grow. And so I think that that's the legacy that I'd love to leave and really to show other people, other leaders and organizations to be able to do the same thing, to leave a legacy of care for people, for care for their teams, their families. And Mm -hmm. when we do that, I really feel like then our organizations are fulfilling what their mission is and really being able to support their people and Mm -hmm. support our communities as well. So I hope that that's the legacy I hope I leave. 
Amazing. And if anyone would like to get hold of you, David, how best can they reach you? They can reach out to me either via email. And my email is just david at david mcglennon, M-C-G-L-E-N-N-E-N.com. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm also on LinkedIn as well. You can look me up there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. It's been a real, real, real great, insightful conversation. Thank you, Nikkei. Thank you for having me on. It's really been an honor. I appreciate it. Oh, I love this. Love, 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 love. The infinite game. The infinite game. To me, when I think about the infinite game, I think one needs to be intentional, right? Because it's not a short-termist game. It's really a long-termist game. Like David said, we have to be very strategic. I also think about being intentional, not just being happenstance. We cannot win an infinite game, a very long-term game, just being very lackadaisical, being very laissez-faire, just seeing where the wind blows us, case there are, it doesn't happen by osmosis. It really takes intentionality. But I also think, when I think of the infinite game, I think about how can we be a great ancestor. So I've been really thinking and stewing on this concept of being a great ancestor and really leaving an incredible legacy because as I was reading an article the other day by Holiday Phillips and she was saying that to be a great ancestor, you have to remember that you are a link in the great chain and you're not the chain. I was like, oh yeah, all out. <laughs> That's so true. It's quite humbling to remember that we are part of a bigger picture. It's not just all about us. So what we do today impacts on generations to come. And also being a great ancestor means that we have to ensure that we are custodians of what has been entrusted to us. And bringing it home, what's been entrusted to us as a business owner is obviously a business, it's asset, the intellectual property, the human capital, the intellectual capital, the financial capital, how can we be great custodians of that, guarding these so very preciously so that when one receives that, they find it in a better position than we left it, right? And lastly, when I think of being a great ancestor, I think how can we be good stewards? be good stewards of the future. And in fact, not just be good stewards of the future, how can we create an exceptional future for generations to come? And I actually think this concept of being a great ancestor is not only absolutely critical to seeing that we build businesses that outlive us, businesses that move from lifetime to legacy, but actually it's the key to building well-functioning societies. If we can all adopt this mindset of being a great ancestor, a lot of social issues and environmental issues go away. So having this lifetime mindset has really decimated and destroyed our societies. And so it is just, I really strongly believe it's the key to creating lasting, sustainable impact. 
And how can we actually become a good ancestor? I think, like my girl said, Holiday Phillips, you are a link in the great chain. You're not the chain. So we're on a journey with multi-generations. We have to understand and start having conversations that are intergenerational. We can't be isolated. We must be integrated. And we have to then take into consideration future generations. What would they want if your grandchildren could be in the room as you're making strategic decisions? What would their preferences be? Of course, you don't know whether your granddaughter likes blue over purple, likes spaghetti over what have you, right? But I think we all have some common desires for safety, for freedom, for agency, for stability, for dignity. I think we have some universal needs and wants that we can kind of guess, <laughs> we can kind of guess what the next generations may want. And so not only do we have to care for the present, we have to care for the future. So I'm actually, I just wrote a whole article on this that will be going out to my newsletter list. And so if you're not on my newsletter and you'd love to see it, just sign up. Very simple. If you go to the Wave link, which I'll include in the show notes, there's a link there to sign up for my newsletter, to join my mailing list so you can get all the tea. And again, I'm writing a book, which will be out in the middle of November. And a lot of these concepts on legacy, being a good ancestor, the juice, the meat, the tea, it's all in there. So watch out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take good care and God bless you.